Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Policy Pack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware plus more. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And of course, by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application learning product on the market. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. TechRepublic.com this week posted an article on 2021 IT budgets and the impact of COVID-19. I've been thinking a lot about this as budget submissions are due and we're all getting closer to the end of the fiscal year. It's an odd time where organizations do need to figure out their budgets regardless of circumstances, but considering those circumstances, I feel like things may get a lot more grim as we approach the end of the fiscal year. I'm not some economic genius by any means. I just feel the likelihood of layoffs is pretty high getting into the end of the year when all the numbers are dotted up and companies need to figure out how to be viable and potentially profitable in the coming year. Some may have been putting off some pretty difficult decisions, hoping things might turn around, but it's not looking like it's going to happen by the end of the year. According to Tech Republic's report, the uncertainty of COVID-19 factored into many respondents' IT budgetary plans. Last year, 9% of survey respondents were unsure of their IT budgets. That number grew to 20% of this year's respondents. Further, almost two-thirds of survey respondents, which is about 62% of this case, said that they will tighten their 2021 IT budgets as a consequence of COVID-19. So 62% is pretty significant. In terms of IT priorities, 26% of respondents reported that they will spend more on remote technologies that enable employees to work from home. 22% will spend more on security. 19% said more of the IT staff will work from home permanently. And 17% are planning to postpone major projects. Only 6% of respondents said that COVID-19 has not affected any of their company's IT priorities. The survey also suggested that there was a bit of a buck in the usual trend from the last few years, and that decision-making shifted to either the CEO or CIO or other C-level business managers rather than the IT managers, according to 46% of respondents. IT managers made IT budget decisions for only 23% of this year's survey respondents. For contrast, it looks like in last year's survey, the leading candidate for budgets in IT was security. So there's a little bit of a change this year in that it looks like remote technologies or technologies that can help enable employees to work from home took the lead ahead of security. Now, obviously, I think security has to go hand in hand with these remote technologies. So hopefully they spend pretty well on security in the previous years to ensure that they're not just opening the floodgates and rolling out the red carpet for the bad guys. 
Another week and another large company announcing plans to change their work strategy going forward. JP Morgan have decided that the firm's corporate and investment bank, which has about 60,950 employees, will cycle between days at the office and at home, keeping the ability to work remotely on a part-time basis. In the rotational model, depending on the type of business, people may be working one week a month from home or two days a week from home or two weeks a month. An article by CNBC suggests more bank staff will return to work after the Labor Day weekend as some executives are seeing a strain on productivity, which personally I find it odd that they can't figure that it's tied to the difficult circumstances that people are working from home under rather than just purely working from home. I hope they're accounting for the fact that people are working from home and their kids are home and maybe they've got elderly relatives that they need to care for. I'd like to think they're not short-sighted and they have some empathy in their decision-making, but, you know, it's a business. The article covering this by CNBC talks about some of the long-term effects of a move to permanent work-from-home policies, including reducing real estate. It is rumored that J.P. Morgan could shutter backup trading floors located outside of New York and London as a result of the move. Which I also found pretty interesting because in the course of the last few months, covering stories of businesses consolidating and shutting down some locations, there seems to be a little bit of a trend, not a huge trend, but in a few different stories, they've decided to keep open their more expensive or what I would think would be the more expensive locations in the likes of like New York, London, Paris, for example, and to shut down these smaller branches in maybe less marquee name cities. So all those articles about like the death of cities like New York and London are probably greatly exaggerated and they might be missing the other story of it hurting some of the smaller cities like, I don't know, maybe Providence, Rhode Island or Scottsdale, Arizona or places like that. There have been a few articles and resources this week about increased burnout in IT right now. The BBC covered multiple stories about people in IT who made the permanent switch to work from home and how that switch should have been easy or so they thought, but anxiety went through the roof and the work hours got increasingly longer. While doing this show in the weeks of the first wave's surge, I covered other stories relating to challenges for us IT workers and mentioned how I felt like things were going to get tougher for us. And that certainly seems to have been the case. We need to try and take care of ourselves. No one is going to do it for us. One resource that I have loved during the pandemic has been Sean Donahue's shows and clips. This week his guest was Tanya St. Julian Denson from HiddenStreamCounseling.com who talked about stress. It's often useful to hear from a trained professional to give you some perspective on what you're going through And I find this conversation about stress pretty enlightening, and so may you. By the way, you should follow Sean on Twitter. His content is really excellent. And I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 139 on 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find it under reference links. And on the topic of stress, this week the Register covered a story about how 145,000 users' personal chats in KPMG's Microsoft Teams got erased and is not recoverable. The article states the company's 
Global Technology and Knowledge Group attempted to remove a single user's account from an active retention policy, but the operation didn't go as planned. An internal memo that was shared with the register read, quote, In the execution of this change, a human error was made and the policy was applied to the entire KPMG Teams deployment instead of the specific account. This error resulted in the deletion of chat history from end users throughout KPMG, end quote. Only personal chats were lost, it's claimed, not chats conducted as part of a Teams meeting or Teams channel, and not any files uploaded to personal chat threads. Still, I feel really terrible for the person who made that change. That sucks. The Register also reported that a former Cisco employee pleaded guilty in a San Jose federal court on Wednesday to unlawfully accessing SwitchZilla's Amazon Web Services infrastructure and damaging the networking giant's cloud computing resources. This employee who worked at Cisco from July 2016 to April 2018 admitted in a plea agreement with prosecutors that he had deliberately connected to Cisco's AWS hosted systems without authorization in September 2018, five months after leaving the manufacturer, and he proceeded to delete virtual machines powering Cisco's WebEx video conferencing service. According to prosecutors, his actions resulted in the shutdown of more than 16,000 WebEx Teams accounts for up to two weeks, which cost Cisco roughly $1.4 million in employee time for remediation and over $1 million in customer refunds. The former employee is said to have admitted that he acted recklessly by deploying the code and that he consciously disregarded the substantial risk that his conduct could harm to Cisco. He now faces up to five years in prison and a fine of $250,000 when he's sentenced in December. In some news which may help lighten the load for some IT teams, Microsoft have again revised the end of service date for Windows 10 version 18.03. The new date is now May 11th, 2021, and that means that security updates will continue through to May 11th, 2021. And in lighter news, Windows 95 turned 25 years old this week. If you're old enough to be interested in this podcast about enterprise IT, chances are you used and experienced Windows 95. And if you're nostalgic and want to try it out again, Felix Reiseberg has a Windows 95 Electron container that you can try out for yourself. And hey, if you are young and listening to the podcast and never used Windows 95, I'm really surprised and thank you for listening. But if you want to see what all the hype was about, give it a try and see for yourself. And I'll share a link to that container which you could just download and run on your Windows 10 machine or whatever you're using and experience all the awesomeness of Windows 95. After 35 years, we say goodbye to Toshiba laptops. On June 30th, 2020, Sharp exercised a call option for the remaining outstanding shares, and Toshiba completed procedures for their transfer. So that business has now gone to Sharp, and it looks like they're not going to continue the line of laptops. In a time of increased demand for laptops, it's unfortunate for consumers that there is one less player on the market. LeapingComputer.com reported that this week, 
Microsoft announced the launch of Application Guard for Office in public preview to protect enterprise users from threats using malicious attachments as an attack vector. Application Guard for Office is designed to help prevent block files downloaded from untrusted sources for gaining access to trusted resources by opening them within an isolated sandbox. The sandbox will automatically block maliciously crafted files from exploiting vulnerabilities, downloading other malicious tools, or manifesting any malicious behavior from impacting the user's device and data. The BleepingComputer.com article states that it will be off by default for customers with Microsoft 365 E5 or Microsoft 365 E5 security enterprise plans, but you can still deploy it in those environments. For admins to be able to toggle it on, endpoints are required to run Windows 10 Enterprise Edition version 20.04 with the KB4566782 update installed and the Application Guard for Office feature enablement package installed. Windows Terminal Preview version 1.3 has released. And with it comes some new features like an advanced tab switcher, which helps you navigate more easily between your tabs. You can use keyboard shortcuts like control tab and control shift tab. There's also a tab color setting, so you can now specify a tab color for each profile, make it easier to identify when you're working. And if you're someone who has a lot of tabs open, there's a new command that is a lifesaver. You can now search through your tabs in a search box using the tab search command. There's also a pretty cool sounding command palette, which sounds a little bit like you're building your own uh, IntelliSense, where you can add your own custom commands into your settings.json file, and then your key binding should automatically populate the command palette, and you can bring up commands using Control shift p So it sounds pretty interesting. And if you're on Windows 10 2004 and you haven't tried the Windows Terminal yet, you should give it a look. I mean, if you're using PowerShell anyways, and you may be switching between PowerShell and the command window for certain things, it makes sense just to have it in one spot. Google Chrome version 85.0.4149.0, which was released this week, included a patch to deal with a vulnerability disclosed under CVE-2020-6492. This is a use after free bug in the WebGL component of the Google Chrome web browser that could lead to arbitrary code execution in the context of the browser's process following a successful exploitation. So if you've disabled automatic updates in your environment for Google Chrome, you may want to consider pushing this to address that vulnerability. Citrix looks to keep its recent momentum going. This week, they announced they will be hiring more than 600 software engineers. While it is definitely, and while this is definitely good news and a positive, I don't want to pee on anyone's Cheerios, but I just noticed once again that most of these remote roles are limited to certain countries and cities. I see people on Twitter constantly complaining about remote work opportunities getting limited to certain locations kind of making the remote part of it a little bit redundant. And I kind of get in a lot of cases, tax and employee laws are different from place to place. So a company who doesn't have an entity where you are and you're applying doesn't have a team who knows those local laws, well, they'd be taking a major risk employing you remotely. But that's not really the case for Citrix, I believe. They're a pretty global company and their entire ethos and products 
are driven towards like truly remote work. I mean, if the tagline really is work anywhere and, you know, work is not a place, then it would be pretty cool if them as a global company could maybe lead by example and open up these types of roles to be remote just globally. UK's PC Mag reported that the University of Utah decided to pay ransomware hackers even though they successfully restored their systems. The article states that the hackers managed to get their hands on some pretty sensitive data and they threatened to leak it, so the university worked with their cyber insurance to make a payment to the hackers of over $457,000. Experience South Africa CEO Ferde Peters downplayed the seriousness of a data breach at his company which exposed the personal details of 23.4 million South Africans according to an article in mybroadband.co.za and the CEO certainly did not mince his words. In the article they suggest he stated that in no way shape or form was Experian hacked. He said none of their systems databases or records was ever penetrated or hacked as many had reported. He also said that the perpetrator used social engineering techniques to put himself forward as a known customer of Experian. He then convinced Experian in the normal cause of business to provide him with the records of 23.4 million individuals. The CEO stated that the fraudster already had the names, surnames, and ID numbers of people and that Experian only provided contact information to the fraudster, so telephone numbers and addresses. It seems a little bit odd, I guess, to be so assertive to say that like in no way, shape or form were they hacked. I guess he felt like there would be negative connotations if it was a ransomware attack or that somehow someone had infiltrated their security on their network rather than just convince their people to give up the goods. It's a pretty interesting logic. I saw an article about a pretty cool feature that could be coming to WebEx via an acquisition of a company called Babel Labs. They were developing an AI product that could work as a noise cancellation feature that can mask certain sounds such as a dog barking in the background or maybe a baby crying. Given the current work from home surge and the fact that with circumstances people might have their kids at home and obviously a lot of people have pets. This could potentially be a pretty killer feature if done right. I'll be interested to try it out whenever it gets added to the product. Martin Dews from Citrix posted a survey this week and would love your input. He states that a lesser known but very useful feature of Citrix Workspace app for Windows is the virtual display layout feature. You can get a single huge monitor carved into smaller ones. And now it's more relevant than ever. He's asking, is there any appetite for this type of feature on Mac and Linux? So if you're a Mac user primarily or a Linux user, and this is something that you'd like to see, go over to the survey, which I'll share. I think it's only going to be open for three more days. So if you're listening to this, maybe past Monday, the 31st of August, you're probably not going to be able to take the survey. But if you're listening before then and you'd like to take the survey, you'll find a link with this episode, which again is episode 139, and you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And finally in the news this week, I'd like to say a quick thank you to my buddy Paul Wynn Stanley for having me on his Just a Couple of Jerks podcast. 
This is one of those things for me that was affected by the COVID work surge. I was supposed to be on the first episode, but had to cancel due to the lack of time. But I was happy to catch up with Paul pretty recently. The conversation is not IT-centered, really. We talked a bit about my first IT roles, my move to the U.S., and my subsequent move back to Ireland with my wife and kids, plus more. I make it a point to not share too much of my personal stories on this podcast, but if you're curious to hear a little bit more about me, you can on Paul's excellent podcast. And by the way, he interviews a lot of people in the community too, all of whom are more interesting than I am, so you should check out the Just a Couple of Jerks podcast. And now this episode, Scripts, Tricks, and Tips. This week, Martin Zugik asked, are you still using the ASNP Citrix asterisk in your scripts for using the Citrix PowerShell snap-in? If so, he says it's time to stop. He says that aliases should not be used in scripts. And also that since Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops 1912, you can use modules, pointing out with get-help, auto-load, and all other cool features too. Which, as someone who just moved into a 1912 farm, it looks like I'm going to have to revisit my PowerShell scripts. Scott Hanselman shared a video that provides a really great introduction to Docker containers. If it's something you've heard a lot about but haven't put time into learning yet, this could be a really great starting point for you. Steve Sifu unloaded an incredible thread of tweets going into amazing comprehensive detail on the Windows logon process and every single step along the way. This is one of those things that I feel like everyone in IT should read, so you really want to check this out. Just understanding what goes on when you're logging onto a machine can teach you a lot about the operating system and also just different components that you may be unknowingly interacting with. And I warned you last week that I have a lot of new content coming out over the next few weeks. Well, this week I shared a blog with Software 2 giving my thoughts on VPN, the work from home strategy that I like, and more. If you're interested in finding out my thoughts on all of that, you can check out that article and I'll share a link to that with this episode. And finally for this week, Sign up for this year's Fantasy NFL competition and also Fantasy Premier League competition is now open. Just like over the last three years, the winner of the league will get to choose the jersey of their choice and there will be some spot prizes too. So for example, every year I've been sending an Amazon gift card to the person who has been deemed by Democratic vote to have chosen the best team name. So if you're into American football or you're into soccer and maybe you're playing the fantasy leagues anyway, why not sign up and you might win a gift card or a jersey. And if you have friends who are into that sort of thing too, feel free to share the sign up link with them too. And for the NFL Fantasy League, best not procrastinate because the draft is taking place on the 4th and I believe there's only 12 spots left out of 20 Which, hey, that gives you pretty good odds of winning. You've got a 1 in 20 shot of winning the thing, so... Even if you don't know much about football, you could just sign up and pick a bunch of players and hope for the best. 
Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.